who believe that every single church of Jesus Christ is a missional church, is a church that is looking to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, of that, there's no doubt we are to uh, uh, be a commissional church as well, the Great Commission, which is to make disciples. And there's no doubt from even uh, uh, your reputation in the city, uh, but what I've experienced over the last uh, day and a half, that you're a sending church, that you're sending people uh, to uh, be missionaries for Jesus Christ. But more than that, what we are looking for, and my emphasis today is to encourage us, uh, not only in being a sending church, but in being a being church, being a missional church, not so much a church... Uh, that mission is something we do, but mission is something that we are. And that is the focus that I would like to leave this morning from this passage, particularly verse 13, which is about being salt of the earth, that that is for all of us. There's no doubt that it's a missional statement for every Christian, and we're encouraged to be salt of the earth. And uh, it's a uh, well-known phrase, it's a well-known text, um, but... By the Spirit of God, we hope to uh, challenge ourselves and apply it to our lives afresh today. Now, salt, uh, I think as Kirsty already mentioned earlier on today, uh, it gets a bit of a bad press uh, in 21st century Scotland. And maybe we need, we'll spend a little bit of time looking at, at what it meant in its original context, which is always very important. Because really today, salt is, is not that popular. And we have the salt police that uh, stop us from taking too much salt and they're always telling us to cut down on our salt intake and they're always banning salt cellars. They're taking the cellars to the cells and uh, the cells are full of cellars of salt. Uh, No one's allowed to use salt anymore. It's the new tobacco. Uh, We're not really allowed to have much salt. Poor Delia Smith this week got a fearful battering for her new cookbook that she's brought out. In fact, I think she's going to get extra extradition charges against her and she's not allowed to be in the country anymore because her cookbook's got a whole lot of salt in it, which is rather sad. But of course, uh, I think as Kirsty said, the trouble is that uh, we take too much salt and all our processed foods are full of salt. But we do need salt. Salt's very important. It's very important for our bodies and uh, it's uh, very important because it has great qualities. And uh, if we look back to the Bible times to uh, remind ourselves what Jesus would have understood by salt, then it gives us a, a little bit more of an indication of what he was meaning when he encouraged us to be salt of the earth. Because, of course, where Jesus was, there wasn't any freezers, and there was very few fridges. And so the meat, if it was to be preserved, uh, needed to be rubbed in or uh, uh, placed in salt, because salt is a preservative And so salt would be rubbed into meat to stop it rotting and to stop it going bad. And of course, at the same time, it would be adding flavor or drawing flavor out uh, of the meat and out of the food. In fact, I remember my father talking about, uh, as a child in the West Highlands of Scotland, uh, getting utterly and completely sick of salt herring because that's all they ever ate because the herring was caught and put in salt barrels uh, and it was eaten all winter. So it was something that was used as a preservative uh, before uh, the days of fridges and box freezers. It was also used as a disinfectant. It was rubbed into wounds. Ouch! 
how sore that would have been. New babies were washed in that. We're told in Ezekiel about a a new baby that wasn't even washed uh, in salt water as a sign of it being um, abandoned and ignored. And it was a staple item. It was something that was common to the people. In fact, staple but very important. Roman soldiers were sometimes paid in bags of salt uh, so that a good soldier would be uh, worth his salt, which is where we get the phrase from. Um, And so it was important at that level also. So what Jesus is saying is that you are the salt of the earth, but if if the salt is not salty, if it doesn't do its job, then it's worthless. And what he is emphasizing here is the quality of our Christian lives. And uh, that is really what he's focusing on. Just as the quality of salt is important, so the quality of our lives is important. And if we are to be a missional Christians in a missional church, then the quality of our lives is tremendously important. And of course, the quality comes from our dependence and our reliance and our connection with Jesus Christ. Unsalty salt is useless. Unchrist-like Christians are useless to God and to man. And that is the challenging and fresh message of this old text. Salt needs to be salt. It needed to be pure. If it was going to add flavor, if it was going to preserve, if it was going to clean, if it was going to uh, be an antiseptic, then it needed to be pure. You know, we, we, you know about the Dead Sea and the salt that comes out of the Dead Sea? It was very mixed up with lots of different chemicals. And it was rubbish salt. It didn't preserve and it didn't flavor. So it was taken sometimes and thrown onto the path because that's all it was useful for. It was a deadening thing, deadening chemicals, so it deadened weeds. And it was thrown on the paths. And uh, that seems to be uh, potentially what Jesus was talking about when he says it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It was impure and it was therefore useless. Salt needs to be salt. It makes rubbish sugar. You ever tried it in your coffee? It makes very poor sugar. It also makes very bad meat. It's not good meat. It's no use salt. I want to be meat for a change. I want to be bisto granules. At least they're better than salt. But no, salt is no good if it's meat. It's no good if it's not doing what it is intended to do. It's no good if it's impure. becomes destructive. A killer, in, in a sense. It's crazy. Jesus knows that. You are the salt of the earth. But we mustn't lose our salt in this. And so, the message is clear that Christians need to be Christians. That's when we're going to be most missional. When we are being most Christian. Uh, in our lives. That's when we'll be most effective as, missional, uh, as missionaries. Uh, and I'm using that in a very broad term. I'm not using that in a professional term or a professional way. I'm using it just of every one of us as uh, uh, disciples of Christ. We'll be most effective when we are focusing our energy not on changing the world outside, but on changing ourselves. Because when we are being changed, then that will have its effect on the world. So that the, the energy, the movement, the dynamism 
uh, of this passage is uh, away from us focusing on, on changing everyone else to changing ourselves. And that is quite a radical truth and quite a challenging one. So often the temptation for us as Christians, I think, is to be as like the world as possible in order to reach the world. We've heard that argument before, haven't we? Well, I want to be as like the world as possible because I want to reach out and, be, uh, and, and uh, uh, share the gospel by simply being as like them. Well, I kind of, it's a bit of a double-edged sword. It depends what we mean by that. But the, the best way that we can reach out is not to be indistinguishable from the world, but is to be as distinguishable for Christ as we can be. Salt makes poor meat. Christians make poor, poor non-Christians. Or should anyway. If we are to be a blessing to others, if we are to um, be effective as Christians, if we are to be attractive to the world and uh, powerful in the world, then it's not by being as like the world in sinfulness as we can, but it's to be as like Christ as possible. Otherwise, we are useless Christians, deadening in our spirituality, in our evangelism, in our blessing to the lost. See, if we have no good news to share, if we are indistinct from the world, because salt is very different from meat. If we are indistinct, if there's nothing at all about us that is different or attractive or challenging, then why would anyone be attracted to our Savior? What is the good news we have? Are we embarrassed or ashamed by what we are? Do we hide it all the time? Then why will anyone else want to come to the Savior that we're embarrassed about or ashamed of or try to um, not uh, show in our lives? That may be sometimes for us the temptation. But if we are to be effective and blessed and happy and content and joyful Christians, then it will be when we are salty Christians. That is when we are as Christ-like as we can be. When we are engaging our energies on being transformed ourselves in our relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, my friends, for us all, is costly. It's not cheap and it's not passive. It's active and it's engaging and it happens most when you leave the doors uh, behind here, when you go out of here and you're in relationship with Christ. And uh, therefore, salty Christians, and the first place it starts, although I've just said about walking out of the church, is actually in here. Uh, this is the first place of evangelism. This is the first place we'll be missional. And I don't mean by inviting people to church to hear the preaching. I'll say a bit more about that towards the end. But I mean by our attitude to one another. The first point of evangelism is very unusual in, in the gospel religion. John 17, where Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he's praying that they may be united and love one another so much. And why does he say that? So that the world will know that you love me and that I love them. So that Jesus sees a great evangelistic tool as being the unity and love of the church. That's where we are first missional. If we are backbiting and divided and separated and grumpy with one another, nobody's going to want to come to know our Saviour. Because they'll think he's a divided, separated, grumpy Saviour. 
And there's enough of that in the world anyway. But as we recognize this great costly living, uh, this beatitudinal attitude of Christianity among ourselves, then we will uh, recognize the importance uh, of uh, our mission will simply happen in our lives. We have this great responsibility. Last night we looked at, uh, kind of briefly and and loosely, we looked at the, the beatitudes and some of the attitudes there of being forgiving, of being hungry for Christ, of being pure in heart, of being humble uh, Christians who uh, allow the power and the grace and the majesty of God right deep down into our souls. So that's where the first battle is. It's not about making everyone else right. And it's not making other Christians right. It's about battling ourselves with grace at work in sinful hearts. So that we allow Christ's sexual ethic, Christ's business ethic, Christ's uncompromising truth, our dependence on Christ, the gracefulness of Christ, soak into our hearts and allow His sovereignty and His Lordship to be there. That's the close walk of being salty Christians. Rooting out the selfish, independent, proud spirit that sometimes makes us ineffective for him and in his service. That will then outwork itself in our hearts and in our community and in our world. Being salty Christians. And salty Christians are a great thing. You say, whoa, that sounds a bit harsh. (laughs) Sounds a bit of a battle. But you know, salty Christians are the best kind of Christians. Not just for Christ. But for ourselves, and you know, that's the great thing. When we look through the Beatitudes, they're full of promises too, aren't they? They're full of promises that we'll be comforted. We'll uh, be uh, used in the kingdom of heaven. We'll inherit the earth. We'll be filled. We will see God. We'll be called children of God. There's great promises there. This is not a kind of beggar's manual. This is for us to enjoy life to the full in Christ and be filled with what he is. So the spiritual chains for Edinburgh will come, not primarily through methodology or through great worship or through missional strategy. It will come when we are doing the job that Jesus has given us to do. Be Christians. That is what will radically transform this city again when we are salty and continuing to be and being transformed as salty Christians through the Holy Spirit changing us. He will change the city that we love and that we long to see transformed for Jesus Christ. It will come when we are all missional when we all see in our workplace or our school or our business or our neighborhood that we are the salt of the earth. Not only sending out missionaries, but being missionaries ourselves. So Christians need to be Christians, need to be salty. And when that's the case, uh, we will be used. You know, that is, there's nothing more clear and more sure than that in the Bible. We will be used. You see, salty salt will be used. 
Salty salt's no good if it stays in the salt cellar in the cupboard. It's still no use. It probably, I don't know, chemically, if it becomes less salty, it probably does. It's well, in our cupboards, it all just becomes hard and useless. Nothing comes out. It's just a big lump. It's probably because it get damp in the house. But that's different. Um, well, you could make a good spiritual illustration there about dampness. But um, salt will be used if it's salty. Um, and it will be effective as it's poured out from its salt cellar and rubbed in. And it being interactive, it will react with whatever it's rubbed into. And salt, when it was rubbed into meat, preserved, but also drew out, particularly it was cooked, drew out the flavour. So salt will be used. And so when we are Christ-like, then we will be used. We will be in the world. And, and that's an emphasis that I want to leave that's very important, I think. Because we often have struggles about being in the world and not of the world. Or where do I balance my Christian life? Or what should I do in the world? And how should I live? Well, I think simply when we're focusing our energies on being Christ-like, being salty, then the rest takes care of itself. And the opportunities come our way. It's a strange... Um, um, kind of uh, way of thinking that has uh, developed over the years where we've thought that holy Christians are monastic Christians. The holier we are, the more separate we become. Uh, the more uh, uh, drawn away from the world we become. Which is quite unspiritual and quite unbiblical. Because we look at Christ as our great example. Further from being monastic than anyone in the universe has ever been. Yet absolutely pure, entirely salty. Yet he was always in the world, not of it, not like it, not sinful in any way. But nonetheless, he had this tremendous passion for people. And it was born out from his saltiness, from his God-like being, from being God himself. And as we are like Christ... It will draw us into the world, not away from the world, but it will draw us into the world in a Christ-like way, with a heart for the lost. The closer we are to Jesus, the more salty that we are, the more we will love our neighbours. We will have um, chapped knees and chapped shoulders. Chapped knees because we're praying and in fellowship with Christ. Chap shoulders because we're rubbing shoulders with the world. And that's a great kind of mixture uh, that salty Christians are. We will interact. Our very life, our very ethos, our very... The movement of our life is toward God, but also toward people in a forgiving, concerned, meek, as we saw last night, loving, sensitive, serving, justice, longing for kind of... Uh, direction and the closer we are to Jesus Christ in our own hearts and the more we interact with him I don't think we need to worry about boundaries you know where should I go or what should I do, how far should I go in, in my interaction with the world because it will be clear, Christ will make it clear love Christ, go anywhere do anything because we will be bound by the love of Christ and by the direction of Christ and we will not do the things that we know are for the wrong motives or for sinful desires. 
But also sometimes we spend a lot of time fretting about opportunities. Well, no one's... No one ever asks me about Jesus. I don't have any opportunities. And so we, we kind of, we manufacture them. And they're awful, aren't they? They're, they're totally unnatural. You know? And nobody uh, really wants us to speak about Christ because we've, we've manufactured, we've placarded the opportunity ourselves. Uh, we've memorized a scripture that we splurge out at a point we think is appropriate and that it'll work its magic in people's lives. And yet they've never asked for it and they've never looked for it and they're, they're not open to it. But as we are living for Christ and our energy is engaged in being Christ-like, surely the opportunities will just open to us. Because people will see Christ in us. That's what Jesus says about loving one another and being united. He says so that people will see that the Father loves the Son. They will glorify Jesus. That's an unbelievable statement. In our lives. So I think that the opportunities will come. And therefore I think we should leave preaching alone. When it comes to evangelizing. Well that's a very radical statement. Maybe explain what I mean. I think particularly today. In the society in which we live. I don't know what it's like in different parts of the world. But people react strongly. Generally speaking against being preached at. Either personally or maybe from the pulpit. Um, and uh, it's, we're in a very anti-authoritarian age and a very anti-dictatorial or uh, um, absolute age in terms of truth. And so our missional message, the great missional focus we can have is incarnational, is living, is a, 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 an incarnational message, is our lives being changed Jesus said to the man of whom he'd taken out uh, uh, a legion of devils, he said, no, go home to your own people and, and tell them how much you've been changed. But tell them because they can see the change that's there. Let the Holy Spirit use the preaching to change us. To change us as Christians. Because it remains utterly focused and central to us. But uh, may we be missional uh, as people in our lives. So very briefly and in conclusion, what will be the effect then? Of being salty Christians. Well I think there's a double edged flavour. To being salty Christians. Because salt has that doesn't it. It has zest and it has zing. Deep theological terms. Um, zest. Uh, it has a kind of lovely flavour to it. Um, it, it adds flavour. We add salt to our food. Because we, we think it adds flavour. Or at least brings out flavour. And so the Christian. In the world. As zest to the world. Uh, we bring flavour and uh, we bring uh, something positive and real and living, an alternative that's great. Or we should. But there's also a bit of zing. Salt and vinegar crisps. Uh, I was amazed by how hungry all the Charlotte Chapel children are. Do you not feed them before they come out? I thought they'd all be fed. Anyway, but they were very hungry. But kind of, there's this zing. Uh, uh, sharpness about salt and vinegar crisps or you know as you imagine a wound how painful uh, and sharp is the feeling of that and that same reaction Jesus speaks about clearly in the Beatitudes about the persecution we face, the reaction the zing factor that we can't avoid a sinful world uh, will react when a, a life challenges selfishness and sinful independence and pride 
But as I said last night, as long as it's for Christ's sake and not because we're being obnoxious, then that persecution is okay. I think sometimes we think persecution is fine, but it's actually because we're being obnoxious uh, as people rather than actually being Christ-like. But if it's genuinely because we're being Christ-like and meek and humble and uh, loving, and yet people still react against our Saviour, then glory be to God. So there's a double-edged flavour and there's also preservative. The best kind of world here and the hope we have for a new heavens and a new earth is being realised as we are being missional Christians. That's what we're hoping for. We're hoping for, Christi- for new Christians to flavour this world and to preserve it until the new heavens and the new earth. It will not be political, social, economic or environmental salvation. It will be spiritual. That's our hope. As we are changed and being changed from within, then we will see others being changed. Uh, so that mission and a missional church starts with uh, one beating heart being uh, brought to life and renewed by Jesus Christ and that heart reaching out to uh, all that they have influence over. So I think as a church in Edinburgh and I share with you in, in that mission in, in our church and all the churches in, in, in Edinburgh, I long, long really with all my heart that uh, we would more and more, all of us, be powerful Uh, missional Christians whose focus and energy is on that transforming power of the Spirit changing us and then allowing Christ through us to change our environment and the world around us, then I do believe there will be a revolution. We've heard a lot about lots of Christians, lots of people becoming Christians all over the world. It's so encouraging, so great to look outside of our own kind of rather sad and difficult situation sometimes in Scotland, which we talk about as being post-Christian and and cynical and dead to the gospel. But let us really recognize the the privilege and responsibility we have to see our city here, which we love with all our hearts, transformed uh, also uh, by us being missional Christians. Let's bow our heads in prayer.